So here we are back again with another exciting edition of the book club, and you are invited to join the book club. The book club is for you. We are here to not just read books and play twiddly dinks, but we're here to expose some of the most important and suppressed books of history, some of the most important and influential documents and writings in human history that are fully under the process of being being rewritten out of history because of the 1984 era of Kindles, which uh, if you're a Kindle user, and, and I have, there's nothing wrong with Kindles in themselves, but now they're, they're being used and being shown to, to use to manipulate and corrupt data and change books. So when you go back and read Mark Twain, they'll, it'll change the words, you know, so the subtle, ephemeral changes in the, the context, which makes it a 1984 magnitude manipulation and propaganda mechanism for the totalitarian deep state technocracy and that we're really dealing with. So there's a whole new level of, of nomenclature and concepts for this new era of revolution, human revolution against the machines like Klaus Schwab and so on. But in this particular episode, before I go and digress and go all into a whole thing, we're going to just take a, a moment to listen to our brother here, Johnny Cerucci. And if you don't know him, then it's important that you do. And he is far more well-known and influential of a researcher and thinker and writer and uh, he has some books published, which I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to get there, guys. I'm going to have a book. It's, it's it right here. The powder is dry. It's ready to go. And I'm trying to get that done for us so we can uh, wave it about and, and show everyone the wonderful book that we're going to bring out here shortly. And you can try to buy it if you want. But ultimately, as we're going forward, this is not about me, as it so often is. But now it's about Johnny Cerucci. And we're going to introduce him. We have this awesome book. Uh, Secret History, the Erased Clues that Prove Who Really Rules. And uh, Johnny Cerucci, you can get that book for under 30 bucks, which is a killer deal. And we'll have it posted on the Palindrome Book Club on Facebook, and you can go check it out. And we had a little chat with Johnny Cerucci, so I will just not bore you any further, but we'll just go ahead and uh, bring on our discussion. And of course, if you want to see my face... Uh, Johnny Cerucci was far more technically advanced and has a video apparatus that was able to film us having our conversation, if you can imagine that. And so even though you're just listening to it here, if you want to watch it, you can just pop over to Johnny Cerucci and check out his work and, and check out uh, Johnny Cerucci and Looking Glass Forum. And if you're lucky, you might be able to still catch it before it gets banned. Hey there, brother. How y'all doing? Outstanding. No, Outstanding. no, that was my fault. Okay. I I have it preset to start you on mute, microphone. <laughs> gotcha. So uh, how uh, how have you been doing? Everything going well for you? Um, have you been back on Twitter X at all, or? Um, I am I am stressed but blessed as <laughs> always. I uh, I am I am I got banned off of Instasham. Um, I got deleted off of uh, Mega Fake Book, um, and he here's here's the uh, the really upsetting thing. I got my Discord taken down. Uh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, right? Deleted me. Uh, the the really upsetting thing, Sean, is that uh, they used their spying technology to trace themselves to my hardware, and after they deleted me. Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn did something different but um, similar. They would not allow me to start a new one. Right. They would not allow me to start from scratch. Uh, I, I right. could not believe the vicious level of the censorship. Bad enough to just wipe out all of my hard-earned subscribers. But then you won't even allow me to start over again. Right. Now, I think it's the most pernicious kind of threat that the technocracy can really issue against you, because in the future, I think that when they do that to people, they really mean for you to stop existing and to unperson you is really to be like a cyber execution. You know, so the information you're putting forward is just something that is absolutely verboten and no one is allowed to think it in the future. In the future world they want to create, no one's allowed to talk about it or discuss it or even know about it. So, Absolutely. This is this is good stuff for the show. Let me uh, let me. Put out my on. Speaking of which, on the the three people that are allowed to see me <laughs> on social networking, I'm going to go ahead and put the word out. 
Yeah, I think uh, it's also, important for you to do it, not just, you know, you know, for other people to hear it, but for yourself to be authentic and to be responsible to God, accountable to God for, for what, you know, you have, what you know. And so that's going to be the difference in the future in the far future. So. Amen. Amen. And, right. and, uh, I'm just a, I'm just a flawed individual and doing, doing the best I can. I'm not a, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. Uh, I'm just a regular guy. Right. With the, <laughs> well, you know, if, if, as far as now that you bring up the fivefold ministry, it makes me think because there's these different offices of the fivefold ministry in the scripture, and and the office that you might occupy without realizing it is the office of the teacher. So there's there's the evangelist, and there's the prophet, and, and the ultimate is a teacher, and so that you you have to keep the the pastors and uh, the individuals out there that are responsible to know this stuff. You have to keep them, you know, the Lord can say that. He he had it published everywhere, and that people knew, you know. Amen. The truth. Amen. And and by by me, <laughs> it's fascinating. By me being rough around the edges and far from perfect, it's it's. Uh, I've used it as a bit of a test for other people that, but especially other Christians, not other people. I've used it as a test for Christians. Are you able to <laughs> accept me? Right. With my flaws, uh, as as you. Um, Examine yourself because that's that's the walk of of the Christian. Let me shut up and get talk. This is all good stuff for the show. Yeah. Stand by. Let me uh, yeah. got my OBS up and running. All right, three, two, one. Yeah. Let me. Good. Hang on. Let me give you full rights as well. Awesome. Hey, stop what you're doing. This hey. is Sean's show. What are you doing? Right. Pull back on the host. Get over to Sean. All right, pal. You are you are have the rights to record. Just hit that record button in the middle of your. And you can get. Like I said, I'm going to have my copy. Um, if you need to, worst case scenario, you can convert our copy down to audio only for your podcast. Okay. Sounds but, good. Um, listen, I I'm absolutely thrilled. I'm so thankful for your long suffering and your patience and. Working with me, and let me. No, I appreciate pick the day it. And, and then be late for my for my own appointment. So thanks, man. No, it's all good. I've just been waiting to kind of get a chance to talk to you more myself, and just waiting for a good time when because there's so much going on, and, and I'm not naturally like a podcaster, or do I naturally like I'm not naturally an extrovert to go out and speak to people about these things. But I've just kind of been compelled to recently to go and just discuss, you know, you know, the truth, and it's hard. It's harder You're and harder. You're natural. Oh, thank you. you. For someone that doesn't normally do this, you, uh, you've got a great, uh, you, you, there's a flow to the conversation, uh, very, very polished. I would never have imagined that this is not something that you're, you're a professional at. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm ready to go. And do you want to, do you want to record on your end? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I've got some recording going on as far as audio. Okay, great. So I'm good okay, super, that, yeah. super. Well, well, thank you for this. Zoom is easier for me to do, so I appreciate. I wish I was. Me. Yeah, I wish I was more. I want to get to the point where I'm doing more video and stuff, but I'm just, you know, I'm just so busy. It's insane. So. Sure. Yeah, it's definitely a, it's definitely a grabber. It definitely helps mm. uh, captivate, captivate the um, attention of the average viewer rather than just a listener right there's definitely a forum there's definitely a a um a niche for both but uh video video does grab people more so sure does all right brother you are uh i'm gonna give you the con okay um so as we go forward here i'm just wondering how how is it with your books have you been i know you've been writing a lot of books and doing a lot of stuff um how how has that been working out i mean do you find that certain books of yours are are getting more of contact or selling more? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, I did do this, well, after I got out of the military, I, I was, let me go big picture for, for your audience, although my audience has heard this a, a million times, I'll still go big picture for your audience. Who the heck is this guy? Why are you even bothering with this guy? Who is this guy? Why does he have anything worth listening to? So uh, born and raised, fourth generation immigrant, Italian Roman Catholic family leaned right of center 
with values. And this put me on a track towards military service, but I had a troubled family life myself, an abusive parent. And this caused me to be uh, kind of an underachiever, I guess, of setting my sights high and getting never, out, never having to getting follow out. through and right. making it. And so as I'm going that on that journey, I ended up kind of stumbling into the military. I haven't told this too many times. I went went into the was in Marine Corps. Let's see, I was lined up to a Navy prep school for out of high school, 13th grade. And I did that because I had attempted to go into the Naval Academy. I got the congressional recommendation, but never got the appointment. I think that's what it's called. There's a, you know, okay. They have to say they want you and you need to get a sponsor. You need to get a politician wow. uh, to sponsor you. So I got the sponsor on two different tries, but never, never got the Naval Academy to say, yeah, we want them. So, as I'm trying to do that, I went to a 13th grade, grade, which was Admiral Farragut Academy, a Navy prep school. I did that on a football scholarship and still floundering around. I ended up going to the University of New Mexico instead of the Naval Academy and went to Marine Corps Option Navy ROTC and did that for three semesters. And I'll tell you, I was having such a rough home life that... I came up with a brilliant idea. Let me drop out of everything and I'll enlist in the Marine Corps and I'll work my way up there from, from there. And unfortunately, as I did all that, all the stuff that was latent inside of me that I was dealing with, thanks to a bad home life and abusive parent, uh, kind of blew up on me. And I pulled the plug on Marine Corps boot camp halfway through. Uh, refusal to train... And they said, oh, dude, you're, you're done. You're, you know, you're, you'll never get a government job. You'll never be back in the military. Uh, you're destroying your life. And I said, I don't care. I'm, I'm not doing this. This is just a, a, I made a huge mistake and got an entry-level separation discharge. And came home and uh, the father had divorced my mother and, and moved on and took on a wife that was my age. And I was like, That's devastating. I understand that. Um, and so it was... Um, all making me who I who I am today, but it was a big mess, and I had to put the pieces back together. And one of them was to try and and finish. Actually, I, I did just regular jobs for about two years, and then felt really bad. Like, wow, I have destroyed my life. I have quit everything I ever needed to do, and so. I decided to try and go back and I didn't want to just go back to any school. I wanted to go back. I'm living in New Jersey at the time. Right. And I said, you know, I've got to go back to New Mexico. I want to go back to New Mexico and finish my schooling there. And by the grace of God, I was enabled to do that with, with some help. My, my mom was doing a great job helping me and, and was financial aid and so forth. Once I got back to university of New Mexico to finish my school, I was really fixated on trying to get back into the Marine Corps. And that was just an impossible, you know, the, the waivers, they were there, but they're really, really hard to get, especially after the debacle that it was me enlisting and dropping out, not completing boot camp. While I was in the University of New Mexico, I met a guy also from New Jersey. He was a veteran Marine and a born-again Christian. Wow. And he and I met, and we just hit it off, had everything in common, guns, motorcycles, right-wing politics. In fact, we both ended up writing right-wing columns for the university newspaper. And I think it was at alternate times, too. So he is the guy that, that encouraged me to go with him to Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque. I was uh, very crass. I'm, I'm crass now, right. <laughs> but I'm born-again crass. Uh, then I was unsaved crass, just awful. And, and I, and I'm non-practicing Catholic. Right. Uh, I, I could, I could walk into any Catholic church and, and participate in any mass. I know exactly where it was, stand here, kneel here, spin around three times, shake this person's hand and walk back out again. That's what it means to be a Catholic, do everything by memorization and pat yourself on the back. Right. 
Yeah, I, I, I was raised a Catholic, um, not to inter- interject any story, but yeah, I was, um, as a very young man, my grandparents had me in there doing the catechism at a very young age, the earliest possible age, and I was an altar boy. And I went through that from all from the inside, understood it very well. And they, they were trying, I have an older brother, and, and I was the second son. They tried to set me up to kind of go, go into um, the holy order as myself. But I, I, I too had a meltdown. I, I had a difficult time at home, just like you, and things just did not work out the way they planned, but it worked out the way the Lord had planned, I think. Amen. So. That's exactly the way I put it, too. A long, winding path with a lot of mistakes and a lot of pain. And Romans 8.28 into Romans 8.29 is if you're in Christ, he will use all of that for your, for your good, right. to make you who you are, to conform you to the image of Christ, which fortunately and unfortunately requires pain and challenge and mistakes. Right. And so... Absolutely. Yeah, that's where I was. And so this... Buddy of mine got me, suckered me in. I, I really wasn't interested in going to church. I wasn't interested. Well, I take that back. I, th- I, I always had, because I was right-minded with my, my politics and my ideology, I had tried to read my Catholic Bible, which still sits on my shelf, and couldn't make heads or tails out of it. I had a heart for it. I did, I did believe in Jesus Christ. I had a heart for Christ and Christ's truth, but no relationship. Right. And... Yeah, he's there. He comes through the scriptures. It, 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 you know, he, his presence, his word, his personality, his attitude. I mean, it's all there. It's very vibrant and alive. And I think that's the worst thing that people are are cut off from in the world is they have like a presupposition. They have um, a kind of a, they imagine they know what is in the book and, and they have heard stories. They maybe even seen movies, but without really reading the word and having that kind of direct connection, uh, I think people are missing the person the person of Jesus himself. I would go even further, Sean. I would say that the the relationship has to spark your interest. The relationship, the power of the Holy Spirit makes the scales fall off your eyes. Right. Totally. Once the power of the Holy Spirit makes the scales fall off your eyes, now you can garner the truth out of the Word. There are people who have memorized Scripture, memorized copious amounts of Scripture, and Christ is going to say, I never knew you. Right. No, I, they have. A, oh, there's a lot of examples. There's, we have covered this. I have covered this on my show. For instance, as I cover the, the I'm going to pause on my own, shut my my own biography real quick, and and get into this aspect of Christian living. Yes, sir. As I try to track down, I get this question a lot: Which translation of the Bible do you prefer? I. I in my community, especially awake Christians, air quotes, awake Christians, I got a lot of people who understand the value of the so-called King James, but don't understand why. Right. Well, I did some research on it. I did a lot of research on it, and I found I, I make my own conclusion, and that is that I do agree that discernment is a critical part of Scripture translation, but more than that is you have to be aware that there is an enemy out there. Excuse me, there is an enemy who desires, starting with Satan and then trickling down to his minions. Who are his minions? Who are his enemy? Who, who, who are his pawns, both his agents and his assets, working on his behalf to undermine the truth of Scripture? Mm-hmm. And I'll get to this. I'll go right to it. The punchline is Vatican, the Vatican, Rome, and the, the, the Roman, the Vatican Special Forces, the Jesuits, you've got to know that because you've got to be aware of that military perspective. Your intelligence community has to tell you who the enemy is or you don't know What's who to fight. Going on? Right. And they're going to they're gonna clean your clock because you don't even know who they are. You have to know that. So as you realize that, as you come to that knowledge of how it is that the Vatican is the uh, the handmaid of, of Satan, as she is the harlot, the fourth and final beast of Daniel, the great harlot drunk on the blood of the saints of Revelation. You now understand why it is that the Vatican suppressed the Bible for a thousand years on pain of the fires of the Inquisition. No, no entity has tortured or murdered 
more Christians than the sovereign city-state of Rome. You put together military Rome and, and, and religious Rome, and it's no, not even a question. Yeah. It, it's the hand of Satan is how Christians don't even know this. But anyway, to get to rabbit trail, I see all my rabbit trails. <laughs> Biography and translations. Let me try and close that up, translations, real quick. Go ahead. Is what I found is that all you have two choices, Sean. You have choices based on, okay, what is the, what is the foundational text? Usually you'll get the Masoretic text for the Old Testament. But what, what, are your, what are your texts for the New Testament? Okay, you have the Textus Receptus of Desiderius Erasmus, or then you have other texts such as the Codex Synacticus and the Codex Vaticanus, which are absolute Roman Catholic Jesuit frauds. And so your choices are Bibles that base themselves on Erasmus's Texas Receptus, or you have Bibles that are based on these other fraudulent texts, which have errors carefully woven into them. And it's unfortunate that the vast majority of Erasmus's Texas Receptus are written in Old English. Right such as the so-called King James. It's not the King James. It's the authorized version. King James was uh, James I of England, James VI of Scotland, same person. He was an absolute puppet, uh, an absolute sexual deviant. He was a Protestant just by political expediency only, as was Elizabeth I. Right. So what I found is it, I now tell people that I absolutely believe that even though Desiderius Erasmus never had the courage to swear off the Catholic Church the way his friend Martin Luther did. He still had a heart for Christ, and he had the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Well, I mean, at that time, there probably were a handful of people in the world who could even read the Greek texts and some of the original texts to even understand what the gospel was. So that was really the explosion of the, of the Reformation and, and Protestantism was that, I mean, ultimately, uh, the protestari, or those who are pro-Testament, um, the, the words kind of become this idea of pro protesting in the street, but a pro-Testament individual named Protestari at that time were individuals who were, were discovering the scriptures again for the first time. And they were ultimately, uh, so the Protestant Reformation, Re Reformation was less about protesting as it was about discovering the scriptures again for the first time. There's a really good book. It's um, New Age translations and it actually does a really really uh, in-depth compa comparison side-by-side -side comparison of all these different new world translation and the dewey reams which generally you know, roman catholics use and all the different translations and, and the issue that i have with they do change some words and stuff that, but that's not really the devastating issue um the issue that i have with it is that they leave entire scriptures and dozens and dozens of scriptures out of these different translations it totally obscures the meaning so if you go back to the king james at least they went to the effort of actually putting the entire thing in there not leaving out parts they didn't like and then if you go into the, the most devastating part of the uh, the dewey rames um and i i don't know if it goes back to the latin vulgate or not but ultimately what happens if you go into the proto evangelicon in in, in genesis where it talks about um, the, the the crushing the serpent's head um, in in the the original scriptures it says that the, that um, a, a son will come forth and crush the head but in the the Catholic scriptures it, it describes Mary Mary is the integral one who who stamps the head of the serpent and and, and, and is the source of salvation so that's that's kind of where it, it it splits off there the really fundamental exegesis there and doctrinal difference is that ultimately you're turning more towards Mary and, and she's Jesus's mom she's a wonderful woman even in Islam they constantly have uh, scriptures they have more scriptures in the Islamic text in the Quran and the surahs about Mary being um, special and being sacred than even about Jesus. So it's the centrality of Christ in the, the gospel that's, that's the issue, I think. That is the, excuse me, the, the, the Douay Reims, which used to be known as the Jesuit Reims because it was translated, it was done by Jesuits. Right. That is one of the best examples, a building seven moment for Christians. I'm not a, pro, uh, a protester. I am a Christian. Martin Luther reformed Christianity. Martin mm -hmm. Luther was blessed to survive. There were others who, who did so before him. Right. 
definitely didn't make it. <laughs> John Wycliffe through to Jan Hus. Some of them, most of them were killed, but that is, that is a great building seven moment for Christians to compare Bibles and the rewrite of, of the Bible that the Jesuits have conducted with a very simpler, simple side-by-side comparison of Genesis 3, 15, mm-hmm. to see how the pronoun was the gender of the pronoun was changed from masculine to feminine. Right. It is absolutely shocking because Genesis 3.15 is the very first messianic prophecy. Right. It, is, it is huge. It is critical to the gospel. It is the very first messianic prophecy. And for the Catholic Bible, for the Jesuits to flip that and immediately, I, I was doing on the show the other day, the uh, the Michelangelo's Pieta of supposedly quote his mother holding a dead Jesus from there's there's two iconic Catholic idols images of Christ that take your focus off Christ and put them on Mary. One is uh, the Madonna with child, where Christ is an infant. And he's usually doing some some weird, creepy thing with his finger, his hand, his fingers, you know, two fingers up or right. something, something weird and creepy, yeah. Gnostic, very Gnostic. Or it's Mary holding a dead Jesus. And I asked my audience, I said, what do these two pictures have in common? You cannot have a relationship with an infant. You cannot have a relationship with a dead Jesus. You are forced to focus your attention and your emotion and your spirit on the female in that picture. And that's not Miriam. That's the queen of heaven. That's a fabrication. That's Columbia. That's Samiramis. That's I knew you were going to go there. I totally knew you were going there. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think they it's like to Miriam. do that. Like they, they, they like to mix the occult legend with the, with the, and superimpose the idea of Jesus in the pictures. But I think that's Nimrod, if I'm not mistaken, or in the scriptures, they say it's, they were crying for Tammuz. That's how they describe it in scripture. So yeah, I think both, that that's, both yeah. as a matter of fact, the, 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 the myths, and there are many myths and they cross over, uh, the myths claims, uh, Samiramis, Semiramis, depending upon how you pronounce it, Samiramis, after Nimrod's, execution for apostasy was pregnant. Well, how did you get pregnant? Your husband is dead. What did you do? Oh, she miraculously got miraculously pregnant uh, and gave birth to her husband, supposedly. Supposedly Nimrod is reborn as Tammuz. And by the way, this this is what Jeremiah says. Baking cakes for the queen of heaven, shedding tears for Tammuz. Right. That's what they're trying to, they're trying to raise Mary up to, to to take the place of this old deity. It's clear over time. And it's, it's clear that they're doing this, this syncretism and they did it recently too. They, they brought this old statue of an Aztec goddess. They they did uh, apparently murder people and and offer bloody sacrifices to this Mama Pachi or I don't know if I'm saying that right. Goddess of the Aztec goddess. But now they brought her into the church and put her on the center altar of, of the Roman Catholic church somewhere. I have to go look up where that happened, but you can see they're ultimately, they're trying to blend this entire pagan legacy into one thing and just mix Mary in there. And so that's why the, the prayer to Mary is so central that we all learned as Catholics and had to repeat so often. Absolutely. I recall this scandal. I, I don't recall the exact name as you good for you. I, I don't tip my tongue as well. Something very similar to that. Pachamama, I think right. it is. Yes, you're saying it right. I said it right. I said, Pachamama. Exactly. Yes, sir. It's absolutely Pachamama. right. They did the same thing with Fatima. Right. They did the same thing with Fatima of this uh, this this crossover, this attempt to lure Muslims in to at least have warm feelings towards Catholicism mm-hmm. in a, a syncretistic blending right. so that eventually all will bow to the the preeminence of the Pope. And, I think that I think he's going for the gold. I think ultimately, and he 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 just have they just have to get a guy to sit in the seat. But they're, they're the people around him are carefully curating cur- cur- curating the uh, the office there, and they're bringing him historically into this place where he'll. I think ultimately they'll sit him as the caliphate, as the caliph. 
Right, so they're getting ready to set up this 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 new caliph uh, caliphate. The whole question is who will be the the caliph, and I think that he's all set to step into that place. The Muslims will accept him. He already likes to kiss the Quran, so I think people just haven't seen where it's going yet. But it's going to leave a lot of people who really believe in Jesus Christ as their savior, kind of like in the dust, uh, you know. So as they hit, set up all these historical um, narratives, I guess. Absolutely. And whatever will, again, distract from a personal relationship, as we Christians know, it is only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that saves, which is why the Catholic Church, Satan learned, especially, particularly, if you are familiar with Daniel and the four beasts of Daniel or the four medals of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Mm -hmm. the human statue are four empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And you can watch Satan as ultimately the, the master of these empires, and you can watch him learn... His shadow government to, passing through time. Yes, Absolutely. yes, you can watch. And, and it's in Daniel. Uh, the, the prince of the kingdom of Persia is obviously one of his. Exactly. Working for him. You can watch him learn to get to a point of transforming prior to, so Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, he, he, he knows that, and military Rome, he knows that he can control and enslave. We go further back to uh, first or second Samuel, where, where the Israelites throw off the authority of Yahweh and say, no, give us a king instead. Right. That's all part of Satan's machinations. Because now, instead of having circuit-riding judges to help you govern, you're going to go to a single authority, and just like Yahweh warns Samuel to tell them, listen, this king is going to tax you, he's going to take your children, he's going to take your sons, he's going to take your daughters, uh, he's going to give you a massive burden, and it's much easier to corrupt and possess and control one or two or three or a, a small bureaucracy, as Satan has done, than it is the decentralized government that, that Yahweh had given the Israelites. So right. you can watch how Satan learned to go from military. He knew that he, he, if he put a soldier on every street corner, he would own that territory. He could enslave that territory. But that has set limited resources. Right. You eventually run out of soldiers, and now you can't conquer anymore. Ah, but if you use other people's soldiers, if you use the soldiers of the nations that are already there, right. and you take them as your own, now you're limitless. Now you can control anything and everything. And that is the transformation. Right. That is how Rome turned into mystery Babylon and began to control from behind the scenes. Now the Vatican owns America's government owns England's government, owns Australia's government, and has to expend no resources of her own. Prior right. to that, she had to beg her Catholic kings, please go on a crusade for me. And eventually they say, you know, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. It doesn't get anything from me, uh, whether, whether you excommunicate me or not, which was frightening, not because they were worried about their soul, but because they were worried about their, their citizens uh, just losing their loyalty to them because the Pope said you don't have to be loyal to this king anymore. Right. But that is the the transformation. I, th- I think as I look at it, I think that there was an ancient priestcraft, a system of occult priestcraft that continued on. And it goes back, if you look at the the Atlas kings, of uh, the, the Babylonian god kings, and, and how kind of universal that religious system was. So it didn't matter at that time if you go back to Assyria or Babylon or even in Egypt – or uh, Xerxes and uh, with the Persians, um, uh, ultimately there had to be a god king, and ultimately, and even Alexander the Great kind of rose into that position. There were temples built to him after after the Persians. Um, so, and that's what uh, uh, Julius Caesar was faced with too. Ultimately, but, you know, the idea that he had the blood of Venus in, in his system, and and it, it reminds me too when you talk about the kings, they wanted a king because the 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 pagan kings had Nephilim giants. And, and ultimately, Saul was a very, very tall man, you know, so they, they, they wanted a king like the other nations had, like a pharaoh or a Nebuchadnezzar, a great, a great god king. And, and so it's strange how that all went 
Um, but I think it, it shows you the rise of the Antichrist. Uh, I see the same kind of shadow uh, architecture there and the archetype with uh, Pharaoh when Moses goes in, um, how uh, he, Egypt is struck with all the plagues. You know, So I think that if you look at Revelation, that, that's, that process is going to unfold here on earth on a large scale. Uh, just how the Jordan was turned to, to uh, the Jordan, but the Nile was turned to, to blood. And so will happen to the ocean. So when you look forward in time, um, I also like to, I like the fact that you deal with the SDA um, as far as the uh, seventh day of Venice, which I mean, I like the seventh day or as far as the Sabbath. I love that. It's wonderful. But it's interesting that not very many people have taken the time to kind of go in there and deal with that and kind of delve into it. And and I thought of that a lot as, as I was reading through some of that, but not many people have taken the time to kind of speak about it. So uh, there's a lot, Sean, there's so much going on behind the scenes in relation to Adventism. I, I was drawn to them because they are the only sect that recognizes Rome as the fourth and final beast or recognizes Rome for what it is. Right. And they don't do that corporately. They don't do it at the general conference level. They only, it's only, uh, the renegades on the outskirts of Adventism. Adventism came about as part of a massive push in the 19th century, the 1800s, to further fractionalize Christianity on behalf of Rome using her Freemasonic agents. And, and, and you mean Ellen White, of course, right? Is that what you mean? When you well, William Miller was was right. clearly, no one argues, William Miller was a Freemason. William Miller is supposedly the Baptist founder of Adventism. There's some question as to whether or not Ellen White was involved. I Unfortunately, I have to say, I do believe Ellen White was either not in her right mind as far as living a double life, or she wasn't a sincere Christian, because she was, she was caught setting standards for followers that she herself did not follow standards of dress standards of uh, well, I, I, eating. I, I think that she, she had a lot of information. So when you see the, the, the depth and wealth of information there, I, it remind you know what he reminds me of? It reminds me exactly of Helena Blavatsky and the Freemasons around her. And it's a different, a whole different thing when you shift it over there, but it's the same kind of dynamic where this woman comes in, she has these Freemasons back in her and she has all this information and some of it's really, really important and good. But then when you get into it, it just becomes part of this cult system. So they try to like take this pure, good information and tie it to this weird cult system. And then, yeah, it goes, you can see it, it doesn't grow. Like it doesn't spiritually grow. It's, yeah. It's, there's no revival it's a there. It's metaphor. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would say that at least Ellen White, put some effort into spreading the gospel where Blavatsky was a, a bold Luciferian. I believe she, she put out the idea that there is no Satan and demons are not as bad as you think. Right. Something to that effect. But you're absolutely right. There, I, I see these Freemasons, especially when you see them in the backdrop of Mormonism. I see them just dealing with all these different systems you know, like technically, and they have no problem going in and dealing with the gospel or in Baptist churches or any of that. They'll, they'll tinker around in there and set things up and just how they did uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, that kind of stuff. I mean, so even it's Blavatsky, almost even right, Blavatsky, but no, it's not. Even Blavatsky was respectful to the gospel. Blavatsky was respectful to the gospel, and Blavatsky repeatedly outed the Jesuits Thank particularly you. in relation to their control of all other secret societies. So she's absolutely worth reading, but you just have to be on your guard, especially as a, as a Christian. Yeah, I know what you're and looking at, right. I, there's a lot of baggage. What, what I tell people is, listen, I, I recommend that you not follow any sect, that you not, not follow any organized religion, because there's going to be a lot of baggage with it. There's going to be a lot of dictates of human beings that are going to get in the way of the freedom that Jesus Christ bought you on the cross. And that first and foremost is turning yourself into a temple where, where you can have direct communication with your creator. You can go into the Holy of Holies because he made you a temple. If you ex accept it, don't put the chains on of uh, an outside sect, such as Adventism that, that makes you, think that you now have to follow 
very rigorous agenda of works. honoring it's works. The, the, it's hey, works. Saturday Sabbath. It right. still works. Right. It still works. You can honor the Sabbath all you, all you want, but you're not going to get any points from God for it. Exactly. You know what I'm yeah, you're not going to get salvation out of it. And and good Adventists will say, hey, that's not what we do it. But ultimately, listen. Oh, I hear him going. I hear him going deep into it and making it about the mark of the beast. And one of the things that really bothers me about the Adventists is they make the other false prophet character of the, which is sometimes hard to defend against, but uh, of their of the scriptures as they try to delineate what's happening in the prophecies, they try to make the false prophet of the United States. And I have a problem. They always show like the two horned buffalo, like as you know. So it's kind of weird and propagandistic at that point, because for me, when I see the the false prophet character, it just it means something totally different. I see that Islam as a nation and as a people can fit that role of being a, a system of a of, of false prophet. Um, which they copy and they're all kind of little Muhammads. I mean, not, I mean, I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying that's their ultimate doctrine and belief system. And in the same way, America has its own kind of, like I said, form of Islam uh, in Mormonism who has a system of the prophet who they have to all kind of listen to. And they have, they're kind of tied to their archaic uh, Mormon book because it's kind of racist and it's kind of stuck in the 1860s and it can't, it doesn't have any an Oracle and it. it doesn't have any kind of real knowledge to, to carry through time. And, and, and Islam has the same problem because all their books and, and, and the, their, their works and the sacred texts are all tied to, you know, the sixth and seventh century. And, and you know, really can't, it can't surpass that intellectual, uh, you know, starting point. So came out at the same time, Mormonism, all related, all related to this Freemasonic Jesuit push to further factionalize Christianity in the 1800s. Yeah. I'll tell you, I don't have as big a problem with it, Sean. Particularly, I I think that Adventists, this is so, it's it's scary. What I say about them is that they get so much right, it's hard for them to know when they're wrong. They absolutely have it right in relation to, they've got a good gospel message. They, They are very rare amongst Christian sects. They know who Antichrist is. Antichrist is the office of the papacy. Matthew 24, Christ says, you don't accept me. Many will come in my name. Them you will accept. Exactly. Who have we been told? We're, we're told, we're told right by Jesuits, Alcazar and, and Ribera. Jesuits created futurism. Jesuits created praetorism. These heresies that say, don't have to worry about prophecy. It's already all occurred. Or you, you don't have to worry about prophecy because it's out there in a the future somewhere. Jesuits created that. Right. Who do they say is Antichrist? Well, Hitler was a was an Antichrist, or he's the Antichrist. Even now, it's okay to talk about Mao Zedong now, now that he's long dead after he's slaughtered 75, That's 80 million Chinese. Incredible. Oh, he was Antichrist. It's okay to talk about Stalin now, decades after the West installed him. By the way, he was an incognito, ordained Jesuit priest. That's what I heard. Not, none of those guys claimed to be the Messiah. None of them. None of them claim to be Jesus Christ. No Muslim is going to claim to be Jesus Christ. Every pope claims the authority of Jesus Christ. Every pope, when they speak or write ex cathedra from the chair, they do so in capital plural pronouns. They are the arrogant little horn of Daniel speaking great blasphemies. There's no doubt about it. You read Revelation 17, the great harlot dressed in scarlet and purple, drunk on the blood of the saints. It's unquestionable. It's the Roman Catholic Church. The only way the Christians don't know it is they're ignorant of their own scriptures that they fall for. Look it up. Even Wikipedia, which is thoroughly, thoroughly corrupt, Wikipedia will tell you raiderism, futurism, which is taught by 99% of all uh, uh, fundamentals evangelical Christian sects today was created by a Jesuit. Wikipedia admits that. How is that possible that then people don't realize, okay, why did a Jesuit create a faulty, heretical understanding of prophecy? It's to cover up all the Rome reformers, all the reformers in all the lands everywhere could easily at that time easily identify the system of the Antichrist right Absolutely. there in Rome. Absolutely. And so I, I'd love to also to, to trace Rome throughout the world because if you go back uh, and look at the history of London, the city of London, it, it, if you go back before the kings and, and, and even before uh, Europe, uh, there was a Roman outpost. It was the farthest Roman outpost in the world at the time, all the way up there in Britannia. And it was Londinium and it was a, an out, outskirts, you know, little wall. And eventually Hadrian built a wall there too to kind of, you know, prop up the, 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 the edges of the empire. 
Um, so ultimately, the the authority the rests in the secret inner city of London and the Square Mile, the banking Square Mile, uh, is is established long before the kings, long before Britain and the UK ever got there, and represents an ancient power go, that goes back to Rome that is so occult that people can't really comprehend it. I think the Templars ultimately get involved at some point and build that up, um, but then there's the whole backdrop of the Templar legendary too. So I found that Absolutely. interesting. The, the imagery, the, uh, the seal, the crest of the city of London is just loaded with Gnostic Roman Catholic imagery, particularly of, uh, of the Knights of the Templars and the, and the Knights of Malta. The equidistant cross is Gnostic and Luciferian. It is not Christian. Right. The, the, the Catholics are suckered into believing that, oh, it's still a cross. No, it, it is an ancient Gnostic Luciferian symbol that is actually a symbol of sun worship and has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Yeah, the Nazi high command loved to have it on their shirt, and they weren't Christians. So They were absolutely, they were knights of the Catholic Church, right. and the highest order of loyalty, the award of valor, is the Iron Cross, a Maltese cross, which is no different than the symbol within the, the KKK. Right. It's all related. And well, the KKK is also a knighthood order with only males who, you know, ultimately, I, again, that goes back to the Mormon. It goes back to setting up that whole. They're pretty ingenious how they set up that dialectic. But ultimately, Albert Pike was behind that, too. So yeah, and oh, you, oh, the KKK ha- yeah. hates Catholics, Sean. Yeah. Just like Freemasons. Freemasons are at war with the Catholics. If well, you if, you, if you add up KKK, K is, a, is 11 and 11 times 3 is 33. So it's not too mysterious where right. they can. Good for you. So. Well done. Yes. Yeah, so. And a great connection to to London. People people will sometimes make the assertion that okay, London is a sovereign city state, Washington D.C. is a sovereign city state, Rome is a sovereign city state. So they're all equal partners. They're unequal partners. Rome is the brains. Rome is the nervous system. Rome makes the decisions. Right. London is the purse strings, and D.C. is the sword. Absolutely. D.C. is the enforcer, which is why I think that Adventists get it absolutely right, Revelation 13, that the United States is the beast of the land that forces everyone to worship the beast of the sea. The beast of the sea, uh, the seas are many waters, many peoples, many tongues. I do see that, but I wonder if Islam is going to take more of a role as we step forward in time and begin to be the enforcer's behind this new Christ law and religion and actually begin to do the beheadings of people who don't want to go along with this as, as Islam and, and the Pope begin to hold hands and come together. Everyone's going to have to join in. So I, I'm sure the United States will take, take part in, in helping that along, but I can see that that beast system. And, and I think that Mormonism still has something to play. It's like an unplayed card on the, on the table here. We haven't seen the full extent of what's going to happen. They're pawns though. They, they are pawns. Uh, Islam as an independent force was done in, I just read this, was done in 1917. When, World War One. When, when England's Allenby used the, the Freemasonic England used World War One as an excuse to put military might into Jerusalem and kick the Ottoman Turks out of Jerusalem to right. set the stage. True Templarism, because it's all about the temple. To, to set the stage for fabricating the resurrection of Israel. And what did Allenby say when he kicked the Ottomans out of Jerusalem? The Crusades are finally over. He took credit for a Roman Catholic agenda. And what was the follow-on? The fabrication of Israel. So right. this is all part of, yes, I'm absolutely, but again, my, my, my bottom line is that the independence of, of Islam was dead in 1917. Islam today is a, a sock puppet, a paper tiger used by Jesuit controlled intelligence agencies, the CIA, MI6, the Mossad, I'm worried about Israel being similar. If you, if you remember, the, if you go into the, the lodge and you get high enough in there, in there on their altar, they have some books on the altar. And one of them is the Quran. 
and another one is going to be the Bible, among other things. And so these are the lights that they go by in their lodge. And these, and of course, they put the tools, and the, the, the compass and the square up there, and these are the tools, like blueprints. Like when you're in a construction site, you have the blueprints on the table there. And ultimately, you can see that they're using these implements over time and over many, many generations. And so Islam, and I think, I mean, I love the Israeli people. I love Jews. But I think that ultimately, they're, they created a, a nation state there, which they intend to, I think that they intend to do what they have in mind for it. But I think God will intervene and do what he wants, I, I hope, in history. I hope that, you know, that what they intend to do with that place, it doesn't happen, let's say. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is it is an integral agenda. And I like to point to the beheadings, which the recent beheadings, well, I mean, as, as far back as as the so-called global war on terror, many of them are fabricated. Many of them are provably false. No entity has beheaded more, particularly Christians, than the Roman Catholic Church. Um what is, let's see here, Ignace Guillotine, the Frenchman, <laughs> named after Ignacio, Ignacio Lopez, right. named after Loyola, the, the founder of, the, he was, a, I believe, if he wasn't a collared Jesuit, he was thoroughly trained by the Jesuits all right. of his life. So, absolutely, it is, this is why I, I try to have an outreach to, to Muslims, Muslim brother. I try to have an outreach to Muslim brothers because they are being used, they are being ridden, they are right. being used. There, there is, there is really no such thing as militant Islam any more than there is, you know, January sixth domestic terrorism. Oh, it blew my mind. It, it, I remember when I could not, I could not accept the statement that somehow the CIA and Western intelligence agencies were involved with creating ISIS. I couldn't. I couldn't process. I was like, no, that's not true. That's not true. I just was totally, you know, what I mean. But, but ultimately, as time goes on, I'm like, oh my god, I'm sickened by this. But you can see that what what the West is capable of. They're totally, they're maniacal. They're they're just focused on gaining power, and they they have absolutely no sense of any kind of moral threshold whatsoever. So yeah, Sean, they were just playing the same card that Zbigniew Brzezinski, devout Roman Catholic, played de- uh, decades before creating Al Qaeda. Right as an instrument on behalf of the, the Roman Catholic Church. Also, so, just as a note, during, uh, I think it was 1993, during the first World Trade Center bombings, some Al-Qaeda guys got a bomb and blew it up in the parking lot. And apparently, as it comes out, they got that bomb from the FBI. So That's, abs- that's an absolute fact. I tell that story very, that very regularly. Okay. The FBI had a guy on the inside. His name was uh, Imad Salem. And he was an Egyptian intelligence agent. And he was deep into the cell. He was a member of the cell of the blind sheikh, Omar Abdel Rahman. And his, he had one purpose. I have, a, I have a, a 2011 movie. It's called The Veteran. It's, a, it's an absolute must watch because it takes the character, a veteran, and it, the uh, British intelligence grabs this poor veteran after a uh, time in Afghanistan and says, listen, we got a problem. There's nobody that we can trust to do this. We need to re- recruit somebody like you to go into these terrorists and tell us what's going on. Well, uh, plot, let me, what's, what's the, um, what's the word when you blow up a, blow a plot? Um, spoiler, spoiler alert, right. spoiler alert. Guess what? I have to tell you, it's absolutely worth watching whether I spoil it or not. Turns out, that they suckered the guy. They couldn't have one of their own do this because they had to have somebody expendable. The purpose of this guy was to go in and make sure the terrorists were on time and on target to be terrorists. Right. That's exactly what Iman Salem Not to, not to intervene, right? To, to, right FBI wanted him on the inside to make sure that these darn terrorists, these, these, these darn Muslims, were actually had the courage to get up and go do something. Iman Salem was told by uh, Rahman, all right, we're ready. We're going to set off a bomb, and it's going to go in the trade center. You are our guy. You're our expert. Make this bomb for us. Salem got in touch with his FBI contact, his FBI handler, and says, they want me to build the bomb. What what should I do? And the FBI says, "Uh, go ahead and build the bomb. Yeah, go go ahead and build the bomb. And as soon as Salem... Not a fake bomb, not a fake one, just... 
Right, a real build, a real bomb. And as soon as the FBI told Imad Salem to do to build a bomb, he, he said, they're going to set me up. They're going to set me up so I'm going to start recording every phone call from now on, and I'm going to make sure I catch them. Right, he was smart. And he was saving his life. It's absolutely true. He saved his own life by recording the FBI. And the FBI, surprise, surprise, just like Fast and Furious, the FBI lost track of the bomb lost track of Rahman and his terror group, lost track of their own guy, Imad Got Salem. away from him, yeah. And the bomb went off, and the bomb went off, and it killed like 11 people, just like the United States government and Eric Holder and Barack Obama lost track of the machine guns and explosives and 50 caliber and sniper rifles they all gave to the Sinaloa drug cartel right. in Fast and Furious. They just lost track. Well, Sean, who... Who was fired for that? Who was indicted? Who went to trial for being the cause of the deaths of innocent people? Americans. Yeah, FBI agents uh, were apparently shot with those guns pretty pretty recently after that. At least, yeah, there were there were at least traced two American border border patrol guys, a right, Mexican beauty queen. That's just for starters. Right. They, haven't even, sure. they haven't even used those weapons yet. That's that's all still to come, I believe. Many, many more. I'm sure at the Sinaloa drug cartel, and you give them weapons. Meanwhile, weapons that Americans, as part of their constitutional right, Should are have. being confiscated. As a matter right. of fact, Cheryl Atkinson, a devout Roman Catholic CBS reporter, broke the story on this. Eric Holder writing an email once crimes are committed with these Fast and Furious guns, we will blame America's Second Amendment and we will use this as an excuse. That's, That's what they're doing in New shot. Mexico right now. The New Mexican governor right now today is, is doing just what you're talking about. I don't That's know if you've seen the Absolutely. Holder should have been arrested and put on trial. And back in the day, if you were found guilty of high treason, you were executed. Now he, he laughs. He, he Back in 20. Uh, 2020, he said he was going to run for president. Are you kidding me? Wow. Yeah, we're no. pretty far so, down the rabbit hole now, and uh, we're things are going to, I think, begin to spiral as we get closer to what they're they really need. It, it's like a furtherance of the um, of the Counter Reformation or the the Holy Alliance when they had the Congress of Vienna. They, they planned for a long time now to get us right where we are. And we were reading this um, book; it goes back to like 1980, like Jacques Attali, where he talks about how to control the, the overpopulation with a virus and then present a medication that would eliminate the populations. And, and so people say that's – if you go look on Google, there's like 47 layers of fact checkers saying that's all false. But we have the book. We can show you right here. We, you know, we have it right over here. And we could show you where that's absolutely been the plan We used to have it written in stone, years. but they blew it up, Sean. Right. We used to have it written in stone in Georgia, but they blew it up. They did. They did. Well, hey, look. We've been going an hour now. Um, let me uh, let me give you some of your time back. I appreciate you get with, getting with the listeners here. This has been an aw- best conversation ever, and um, I hope we can get back and do it real. I love uh, you, back. Sean. Yeah, Sean, you, I owe you. If you ever want to come back and pick up where we left off, you let me know. You've been wonderfully flexible for me and my crazy schedule. Love you back, brother. You're the best. I'm at your service if you want to pick up where we left off at any time in the future. Thank you very much again. All right, brother. God All bless. Right. Talk to you hope soon. To talk to you sh- real soon. All Take right. care. Bye.